Uh, who booed when uh, they said repeat storyteller, by the way? I heard you, just you, one person. Thanks for that. I grew up in a small town in East Texas, homeschooled and well-churched, the forgotten middle child of a large family and a really late bloomer. When I was 15, there was something that I loved more than anything else in the world, and that was my friend Marcus's older sister. <laughs> Everything about her drove me crazy. The shape of her lips and hips, her smile, guys, it, it shone with a, with a brilliance that white people's smiles just don't have. <laughs> and, and, and I knew, I knew that my infatuation with her was obnoxious and obvious because Marcus would tell me this constantly. But, but Michelle, she, she never led on to that. She never, she never distanced herself. She never made me feel embarrassed about it. She was simply the Earth's kindest person at a time when, frankly, it would have been a lot easier not to be. And so I'll never forget the afternoon that Marcus and I were playing Star Fox on Super Nintendo in his living room when Michelle came home, obviously holding back tears. Excusing myself out into the driveway, I immediately saw why. Michelle had spent the last 30 minutes driving through the neighboring town in our town in a car spray-painted, vandalized, with cocks and racial slurs. And I had never before felt anything close to what I felt at that moment. Simultaneously, my heart broke and my mind exploded. And it knew just who to explode at, too. See, a few days before, at the mall, Michelle had had a run-in with Rick Morsch, leaving him embarrassed in front of his friends, a crowd, the sunglass hut guy, everyone. And shitty Rick, as he was known across town, was the worst kind of person. I'm, I'm sure most of you have probably come across someone like this at some point in your life. Um, if not, you have a very illuminating void, voting opportunity coming up. Because he was basically... <laughs> he was... <laughs> he was Donald Trump, born in the bayou instead of billions. And he was somehow arrogant enough to think that he would get away with this. But he made it a, a big miscalculation, and that was me. There was no way that I was going to let this pass. And I knew, I knew that there was something that Rick loved more than anything else in the world, and that was his lifted 1991 Ford Ranger. Color, white. <laughs> and I knew immediately I had to burn it. See... While I may have been six when I started reading the Bible, I was 12 when I discovered the Anarchist Cookbook. <laughs> and the Bible, if you read it right, will teach you to love everyone and stand up for the downtrodden. And the Anarchist Cookbook teaches you how to disrupt modalities of power and a couple strong recipes for napalm. <laughs> so by the time I was 15, I was actually pretty good at high level, albeit to that point, harmless pyromania. So yeah, it did kind of feel like my entire life was leading up to this point. <laughs> so I made a plan and I made some napalm. 
There are a couple preferred recipes for making napalm, um, but the one that yields the highest quality product involves melting down shavings of ivory soap and packaging peanuts in a pot containing gasoline in your parents' kitchen while they're at Wednesday night church. <laughs> I loaded up my backpack with a jug of napalm, a couple paintbrushes, and a Molotov cocktail, that is, a Yoohoo bottle filled with gasoline plugged with a rag. I made my way over to the woods that bordered Rick's property. I hung out on the edge of the woods until darkness set in. I slid from my hiding spot into the ditch, out of the ditch, and the 15 remaining feet to shitty Rick's soon-to-be shitty truck. I took out my paintbrush, dipped in the napalm, and wrote the most scathing insult I could conjure with 24 hours notice onto the side of his truck, trailing the end of the K all the way down to the bumper where I glugged out an extra helping of napalm. Satisfied with my work, I slithered back to my hiding place and readied myself. I picked up a rock and threw it at Rick's trailer with the deepest, hey Rick, I could manage, which was probably a full octave higher than I, want, than I really wanted it to be. <laughs> Rick emerged, I lit the rag of the Molotov cocktail, and threw it at the bumper. I threw a little high at the bumper, and it clipped the top of the tailgate, shattering, sending flames everywhere, igniting the napalm, yes, but also filling the bed of the truck with flames, which was a little further than I wanted it to go, but it should be fine, because it's not like there's a lawnmower and a gas can in the back of the truck. And I realize at this point that I've made some miscalculations. The first was my aim. The second was the total amount of gasoline involved in the situation. <laughs> Add the gas take of the truck itself to the lawnmower and the gas can, and you get the three explosions that occurred in surprisingly quick succession, completely destroying Rick's truck. Which leads me to the third miscalculation, which is how useless the cover of darkness is when there's a giant inferno <laughs> illuminating your hiding spot. Rick saw me, and our eyes met. And in one of the proudest moments in my life to this date, I somehow summoned the wherewithal to hold that gaze stone cold for the four steps it took me to retreat back into the woods before I turned around, shit my pants, and run faster than I've ever run before, like the Blair Witch herself was following me. I got to my bike, rode the four miles of dirt roads back to my house, actually getting there a solid 10 minutes before the cops did. <laughs> Ultimately, there were a couple things that would save my ass and convince all the families involved that it's best if the law stayed out of this. See, Rick had turned 18 recently, and the year prior, in 1994, Congress had passed some landmark hate crime legislation. So while I, as a minor, had set fire to and inadvertently exploded Rick's truck, <laughs> he, as an adult, was also looking at greater consequences than he had bargained for. So while my plan did not go as planned, and... <laughs> And, um, and while I definitely never got that makeout sesh I was really banking on, there were, there, were, there were two things, two looks, really, that made it completely worth it. One 
was the look on Michelle's face the next time I saw her, a brief but profound glance of appreciation. And the other was the twisted look of horror and betrayal on Rick's face when for the 10 seconds before it exploded, disappearing forever, his truck read in foot-tall, flaming letters written in my hand, Shitty Rick has a tiny prick. This story was told as part of the Arctic Entry's Five Truths and Two Lies show at the Beartooth Theater Pub. This story is false. 